Good evening, Patriots. And it is the end of Sunday, the 10th of December in the year 2023. You know, um, today's been kind of an interesting day. We're going to talk a lot about it. And it's going to center on Psalm 68, 5 to 6. Something very powerful today in my life. And I'm going to share it because of the way that we see family and the way God sees family. And this time is so important that we really start to embrace what God is showing us, which is the spiritual family of connections that are true and real and what that love means and what it means for us to be walking in that space, and especially in this time. You know, um, the Cantrells, if I told you, have been here on the property and it's a blessing. They've, uh, they've come in, they've settled in, and it's a, it's a family, a dynamic family. Nine children here, and there's a daughter that's flying in for Christmas, that'll be ten, and then Paul and Christine, which just makes 12. And um, myself, which makes 13. So it's a, it's really just an expansion of really the kingdom when you see this here. And these children are just amazing. They're, they're anointed. They speak in the prophetic. They walk in the prophetic just without even thinking. It's just a normal conversation for them. And so I've seen in the last few weeks, since Thanksgiving when we started this, process of having them here 
And then they went down to Arizona. Of course, they were there with me when I was getting my reversal surgery. And then they came back up here, and we've been just kind of settling in. And as is expected, there's been some some warfare that's been going on, which happens. And yesterday evening, I guess it was about 7.30, uh, I got informed that there was there was no water in the house. Now, let's put this in perspective. There's two wells on this property. We have river rights, and we have a, a water reclamation system for rainwater. We have 5,500 gallons sitting in a tank, which is about 25 meters. Actually, it's, it's 70 meters from the house because that's the same distance I used to zero my rifle. So 70 meters away, there's 5,500 gallons. There's about 10,000 gallons of rain water collected down below, and there's another couple of tanks for river water, which run about another 10,000 gallons. So the principle of water is not the issue. But last night, something happened, and there's no water. Now, we've had problems with this water system before, and I've shared that with you. And so I've, I've spent the had the plumbing, the, the uh, pump guy up, and we've worked through it, and we've found a couple of problems. We found the, one of the leaks, and we've, we've found a few other things which we've taken care of. And little by little, we've got the system working right. I've replaced a submersible pump, not cheap, by the way. And we've got some other things that we've done to make this system, which is more like a Rube Goldberg device, I swear, the way they built it. And the most obvious thing is that this system is completely dependent on electricity and electric controllers for your pump system. So immediately when I heard there was no water, the first place I went is where I've gone before is to go back and ready to discover that somehow there was an overrun on the tank again and that the tank was dry and it switched off, which is what has happened in the past, but not this time. We went to the tank and discovered that there was 5,500 gallons brim to the top, and there's no water flowing in the property. And so what goes through my mind immediately is the emergency situation we're in because we have 13 people on this property, and that's bathroom facilities, and that's washing, and that's dishes and a variety of things that immediately your mind goes to. (laughs) So we started out last night with tracing down the problem, which we were looking at the electrical side of it. And Isaiah comes up to me and gives me a hug, and he says, a little bit stressful, isn't it, Uncle Scott? And, and, and it's like, yeah, it is. And you can't really be anything but soft at that point in time when a 12-year-old's giving you a hug and saying, I love you, and walks away. And so that kind of begins this whole story tonight of the setup of what we're talking about in terms of family. And it's pretty powerful. These children are, are, I'd like to say that these children are what all children should be. Unfortunately, in this day and age, these children are more unique than they are common. And they wouldn't mind being called common. But they're more unique because of the way they're raised, they're homeschooled, and they're allowed to walk openly in the spirit. They're encouraged to. And the family does everything in prayer. Everything. This whole thing with me being called Uncle Scott started a year ago, about a year and a half, about a year and a couple months ago, when I visited Paul, and I really was, I was meeting him for the first time. 
I guess it was a year ago. That's about right because we had been in Plymouth, and I met them in Plymouth at the event that the Resistance Chicks did, and then he went back to Portland. And when I got back, I went up and visited him, and they had already shifted to being prepared as God had called them to. Paul shut his business down, acquired the the trailer systems that they needed, big fifth wheel, and the family was getting ready to go on the road to minister along the Trail of Tears, which they were going to convert to the Trail of Joy. And that was kind of their pre-preparation period. And I went in to visit it, and it's an interesting connection because I met Christine, and you you feel these things. You feel this heart connection with somebody. It's like I felt like I'd known Christine my whole life. And Paul very much the same. It's like we had this immediate connection. It's like sister and Paul brother. And then I met the, uh, I had a chance to meet the kids, and out of the three, two of them prophesied on me. Things that actually, amazingly, because one of the things is actually starting to come true. And I shouldn't be say amazed, but I mean that's the they're they're accurate in the in the prophetic what they're seeing. And so when I left. Paul called me and he said, "Strangest thing," he said, "My kids don't even know you," and they started calling you Uncle Scott. So okay, cool, that's Uncle Scott. So Paul and I've been in touch over the year as they've gone to the trail of tears slash trail of joy, and they've had just enormous amount of challenges as a family truck breaking down about every hundred miles initially. It was a nice truck too, brand new. Lots of things. And, and Paul's handy with vehicles and knows a lot about rebuilding vehicles, which is necessary because he was doing a lot of these repairs on the road himself. And step by step, they were doing this trail of tears and trail of joy. And when we had the original Bards Fest date and we had it down in Kansas, I think, it was, I think we were originally scheduled in Fredonia. Um, they weren't going to really, they weren't sure if they could make it, but they were going to try. And then that place, location in Fredonia fell out. And then we were in a kind of a float, and then we came up with Flemingsburg. And I called Paul, and I said, I'd love to have you up, you and Pastor Devin. And he said, well, the family's going to take a break because we're now, he said, it works out perfect because we've just ended the trail of joy, to, tra to trail of cheers, to trail of joy. And the family's going to take a bit of a break and I'll fly up. And then it'll be Devin and I for a couple days and then we'll fly back. I said, okay, that's great. So I arrive on the Wednesday and... I am, our um, Kristen M.I. or Kristen Michigan was there and he, uh, or one of our mods and he'd already set up his trailer, nice trailer and he invited me over for a cup of coffee. I was smoke tired, um, sat down on his sofa inside of his nice trailer, shows me a cup of coffee and in comes Nikki and Nikki says, oh, Pastor Paul's right over here. And I looked at Nikki and I'm like, what are you talking about, Pastor Paul? I'm Pastor Paul Cantrell. And she says, yeah, he's there with his whole family. I said, this isn't supposed to be. And this the reason I said all this is because I really wanted the Cantrells at the at Barthes. I felt very strongly that we needed that and that God wanted that. So I went over immediately and I there's Paul. And he's and he's there coming out of the trailer, and I'm just so happy to see him. And um, he tells me, he says, Well, we put it to the children. 
I was going to fly up and we, we put it to the children and he said, all of them came back and said, we need to be at Bards Fest. And so they gave up their, what they were going to get a snorkeling time down in, in Florida after doing this long deliverance and revival that they'd done for months. The, the kids were going to spend about a week snorkeling down in Florida. And even Isaiah, I believe, said, as, he, as I recall, he said, I would love to do snorkeling, but God says we need to go to Bars Fest. And so they did. And it speaks a lot to the children as well. As you get to know them, they're willing to sacrifice things willingly for God as long as they know it's him. And so they all came up, and the Uncle Scott piece started to flow in the family. They were all happy to see me, and we had a great time. And, of course, they did an amazing job there. But there was an interesting point when Paul was speaking. And Silas, who's he's about eight years old, roughly, he wears, he's got all of these, um, if, if you've seen these, I guess it could be kind of like plastic stretch bracelets that go around your wrist that have names of people, say that someone had cancer or someone had died. Silas has got a whole arm full of these. And I asked him, I said, what is that? What are, what are all those that you carry? He says, those are all the giants that I've slayed. And so he'll tell you about what everyone is, like one's fear, one's this, one's that. And he'll walk you through every color of every band and what it means. And he wears them all the time. And he keeps adding to them because I've noticed he's added a couple more tonight, which I'll have to get an update as to what this is. And so as Paul is speaking and refers to me as Scott, Silas comes up and he, he pushes his dad. And you can find this in the video. And he says, Dad, Dad, and, and Paul tells a story. He's like, what, son? I'm, I'm talking. And he says, well, Dad, he says, it's not Scott. It's Uncle Scott. And so Paul laughed, and he kind of took it and corrected it, and so it became Uncle Scott. Now, I say all this, and, and this isn't to, this is just the story I want you to hear because it's very amazing what where this arrives, which was today, and we're, we're getting there. So, I have the opportunity to spend some time at, at the end of after everybody's gone with Paul and the family. And we had a, one of the great moments there in the after Bars Fest was the Monday after Bars Fest when um, it was Tammy, in fact, Armad wanted to get baptized. And so uh, the baptismal pool was empty and we went up and checked it. And I went on down and we had. Um, Pastor John, and he's. I said, hey, I'm looking for a thing to baptize somebody in, and he starts rummaging through his stuff to look for an inflatable pool, and I check with Paul, with Paul, and he's got, well, I we might have an inflatable pool, and he looks, he goes, we've got the lake. By this time, Pastor John is taken, he's found a rubber mat, and he's listening, and he's got a rubber mat that he's pulled out, and he runs down ahead of us, and we lay this mat into the water, and Jay Wu's down there with us, and we, we walk it out. And Tammy comes down, and we baptize her. And it just is amazing, John the Baptist moment, I'm telling you. It was really amazing. And there's a really good pictures on this on the Bars Fest site, if you take a look. And as she comes back up out of the water, then she goes up and she sees Paul, and Paul blesses her, and she literally just passes out right there. Holy Ghost takes her, and boom.
Just it was amazing the whole experience. So before the family leaves, they they asked to bless me and they put me up on what's called the hot seat and they put me on a chair and they speak over me and the family sang and the hymn and they, they put their hands on me and there's all sorts of prophetic word that comes out of that that they all gave to me and then they got on their way. So Paul ends up in Tucson and I call him and I'm saying, look, we're, this is now gets... This is about a month later, and he's down in Tucson, and that's where Christine's family is. And I say, hey, I want to get you up here to Portland, if you can, for this event on the 31st. And I said, well, you know, we'll cover all the costs of gas. Just come on up. And so back and forth, and he comes back, and he says, yeah, we pray on it. We're going to be there. So that's when they came up to Portland. And it worked out really well for them because they were able to get some stuff handled with what was in storage and getting some of their household effects moved around because they're living out of a primary camper, a big fifth wheel. And so we they end up there. And then I've asked them, I asked them to come down to the property here before they took off down to Tucson, which they were going down to for Thanksgiving, which when they heard that I was doing the reversal, the first Paul called me back and he said, the Cantrell family is staying over in Tucson to pray with you and be with you during this time. And let me tell you, that was a big, that was a big deal to receive that. And so they come down and we spend a few days here at the property and the kids are just excited. And I ask them, in the meantime, I'm, you know, all fairness to fairness, Michelle from the resistance chicks sends me a, a text and says, Scott, you need to pray into this and we need to pray in for the Cantrell family because they need a place for Christine to have the baby. And so I was praying into it and God says, they need to stay. So we talked about it and it wasn't an easy decision. The family, for I mean, I shouldn't say it like that. It was a very eager decision, but there's a lot that of acceptance when you're given something like this. And I want them to be comfortable and I want them to enjoy themselves and I want them to settle in so they can have this child. And at the same time, we can I can work with the youth here, the young the young kids, the Kentrell children, to teach them farming skills and to teach them gardening skills. There's a lot of things that I want to be involved with. And so they they agreed and then they stayed with me down in Tucson and then they came back up here. So we've been dealing with settling in for the last week or so and that's been going pretty well and getting all things kind of put in order and then of course last night then we have the water that goes out not an it's not like it's any sort of i think what i'm getting to at first in this is that the water goes out and there's as i'm focused on you know kind of thinking in terms of this is going to be a crisis moment I met with something completely different from the family, which started with that comment I told you that the Isaiah, who's a, roughly about 12 years old, says, it's kind of stressful, isn't it, Uncle Scott? I love you. He gives me a hug. There was no stress in the family. Paul comes down and he says, well, the advantages of, of us living in a trailer for almost a year, he says, we have contingencies. So this is the protocols we've already put in place. We're going down getting water here. 
We're going to have water in the house for everybody, et cetera, et cetera. And the family is completely calm and rolling with it, just adapting. Christine, pregnant, feeding the kids, taking care of everything. Everything is just level. It's like nothing has happened in the house. And it speaks a lot to the way these children are being raised to just walk in the Holy Spirit and walk truly with the confidence of God that everything will be okay. And so as we work on this, we bring the children down to the basement and they start praying on it. And we've just kind of let that be today. And so we enter into the, the night and I'm, Paul and I talk and they, we identify the, what we think is the problem. We'll find out tomorrow. But of course we're heading into Sunday and Sunday has, there's nothing open on Sunday. But you couldn't tell that there was any water problem today. Not one complaint. Dishes were getting done with water that was being ported in. Kids were dragging in big. The older boys are bringing in the 10-gallon containers of water that they fill down below. Elijah's boiling the water that was coming from the rain, rain overspill place so we can use it for dishes. Everything's just flowing. The responsibilities are just in place. It's a team that they've built. And so this morning we get up and I asked Paul, to, I wanted to have a conversation with Paul because there was some stuff that was pretty heavy on my heart. And it's part of this other thing, which is I've been going through a, a lot of my own burn off the dross and get to the silver as God's leading. I won't kid you that there is a lot of burning fast going on. And I will just tell you, on, the, on one hand, when you get through it, it's great. But on the process... There's some intense moments that you want to literally put your head through a wall. And so part of that burning off was, I, as I told you last Friday, Paul and I went down to, just a few days ago, Paul and I went down to Yuba City because I was able, you were going to get his second trailer in Shasta, which was three hours down, but we drove an additional three hours so that I could start the process of getting this tattoo removed from my leg. Now there's some dark witchery in this stuff. And I mean this because once I started to release it, it's, the metaphor is literally the reality. The first layer that he took off were the, what were the clouds around the image. So that in the metaphor of taking away the clouds, we can see more clearly. And that is a truth. And a whole st number of things begin to cascade powerfully. Relationships with families, old scars that I thought I'd, I'd healed. Many things start to percolate up. And I, and I had to face a reality in my life based on decisions that I've made. The era that I grew up in is influenced by Kinsey and is influenced by Marcus Stanger, which is all the eugenics movement. And every one of us, it's my age, 58 or so. If your family is in, the, in that size of two or three, you, every one of us has been affected by this insanity of mental corruption that they put on the public. And it's the idea that we can selectively choose the size of our families and we can restrict them and we can use the various means available from birth control to physical surgeries like vasectomies to prevent more children from coming in. That came out ultimately of a Satanist cult activity that takes us back to Aleister Crowley. So all of this is part of the generation, the boomer generation, which you technically were part of, was all influenced by that as families were radically downsized, moved into the suburbs, and then the jobs were what dictated the family size. And with the deflation of the dollar, that always meant that your family size was going to be curtailed, typically to two, three, if you're lucky, four. 
And so we're, we're living in a completely different paradigm than what God intended. And God intends for a prosperous family. And the more that we work through this problem, and I'm working in this deeply, the more you realize just how hijacked the entire family model is. So part of this realization that you come to as you look around and you look at my parents that are aging, they're in very good health, but one of my primary missions for them is stewardship to their death to make sure that they don't go in a home and they're well taken care of until the day that they pass on. Now, to my dad's chagrin, quite frankly, I've told him that he's probably going to live another 15 years, and he keeps asking me why I want to torture him that way. And all good things, but as we move on. And he just had his birthday on Saturday at 87. So we have a, I look at my life and I looked at kind of where I was across the spectrum. And here I am sitting in a place in my life. And I'm just being honest with the way I place it before me. God will provide whatever I want. Or I should say, well, God will provide whatever he intends for me. But you look at yourself at 58 years old and you look at the decisions you've made across your lifetime and there's a couple of things and places that I've arrived. One, I don't have children of my own. And two, um, the probability of that ever happening is slim. The second part of this is I'm not married and I have no interest in marriage. And I say that just in case, because <laughs> I always get somebody writing me an email going, I fell in love with you. Like, great. No, sorry, not working that way. So just so you know, don't send me those emails. So anyway, um, and here I am getting a reversal from a vasectomy. But there's a huge cascade of issues that goes along with that that no one ever tells you about. Especially if you're walking in the spirit with it that as I am. Because my motivation for getting the reversal was not based on a girlfriend, fiance, wife that said we want to have kids and having the ability, it was based on God putting it on my heart. So we can literally walk this place as a decision that's right within the Lord. And that's important to right the wrong. And I did. But with that comes a lot of other things that I didn't expect. And it was one, the reconnection to what God intended, which there was an immediate shift in my in my spirit. I can't even explain it to you, but it was there. And secondly, there becomes an accountability issue. You should begin to ask yourself, how did I get influenced to such a degree to go through a vasectomy? What happened and where was my headset? And I and that's me because I want to know what those influences were. I remember that as I've said, already shared this once before, I remember the doctor when he did the vasectomy, he said, are you sure you want to do this? I said, yes. He goes, because the way I'm doing it, you'll never be able to redo it. Well, that was totally a lie. And I'm glad it was a lie, but that's how they work. And then we get to the next level of their accountability for the children that you prevented from coming into the world. And then you have to go to the damage that that's done in various other aspects to even your relationships because your relationships then anchored purely on the flesh with no connection to the, to the spirit as God would have intended. So your, your past starts to look pretty much like a train wreck. But what is important about this is more than just that. It is the point that we arrive at a point when you look at the world and you realize that there's a coming point where you become essentially an orphan in the world. You become the loner. And 
there's a strong possibility that that's the walk you're going to want to make. And it's a pretty heavy walk to make. And so this brings me to Psalm 68, 5 to 6. A father of the fatherless and a judge or protector of the widows is God God in his holy habitation. He makes a home for the lonely. He leads the prisoners into prosperity. Only the stubborn and rebellious dwell in a parched land. We're walking in the yes, not in the stubborn. And you have to walk in the yes. And so with this, God has presented something very profound for me. And what it is is an experience now to be to witness and be part of the Cantrell family. But there's some pretty heavy words that came from that in the prophetic as well, which is this was the family that I should have had, meaning I should have had one this size. And so in God's grace, he's given me an opportunity to work with and live with that family and be with that family as an uncle. And that's a very, very big place to go. And it's a very settling word when you have to look back at your past and realize truly, where did you go and how did you get off the track? Because it was never you were never supposed to be here without having a family of size with, with you. And yet here I am. So I sat with Paul this morning and I expressed all of this to him, Paul Kentrell. And my point was to him is that I hear you call me uncle, but if we're what I'm needing to ask is I need to hear it from the kids because it's there that we begin to truly understand the true sense of how they see this because otherwise it's just a, a name by name and it has nothing, so substance to it. And the possibility of me withdrawing from that and stepping aside from that is realistic. So we need to pray into it. And so he said, of course. And so they, we did a bloodline around the property this evening with the kids and then we called a family meeting. And I was, as in that point in Bard's Fest when I mentioned it, I was put back in the hot seat, which is me in the middle. The kids around the side and Paul and Christine facing me. And Paul opened it with a very beautiful prayer. And then each of the children spoke. And they spoke to my heart as to what they wanted and what they saw and what they believed. And it's amazing to listen to the articulation of this at the different ages. Isaiah spoke first. And essentially, he was the one who foresaw it before. And he said, when I saw this in the spirit, that you were my uncle. I said, oh, that's interesting. He says, but when I met you, it became perfectly clear that there was, that you were my uncle, both in, and these were his words, both in flesh and in spirit. These are very interesting places that we go and that God is doing right now. It's profound. And as we went down, Elijah spoke. His words were very powerful in the sense that he's the oldest. He says, never have I felt anything but you are the uncle since I met you, that there's something very real to me about this, and we've witnessed it in this family. And so Naya spoke next, and she had some beautiful words, young girl. And then Gabriel spoke, and Gabriel, in his word, we just knocked it out of the park. And he said, as God has shown me, he said, you saw yourself as a drop of water falling into a big bowl of water, thinking that you were going to float on the top and be different from the main water. He said, but that's not here anymore. He says, you've fallen into the water and we've absorbed you as Kentrells and you're now part of us as one. And we went on to have the other boys speak. 
Judah spoke, and he spoke well, and spoke the words of his heart. And in each of the steps, they, they spoke where they saw me. And this is a very powerful, very powerful experience today because every one of the children spoke that when they had seen in the prophetic, when they seen in the spirit, they had seen me. And as they see me in the flesh, they see me in the spirit, and the two are one and the same. And I, I give this testimony because this is really a profound insight into how God works. Very profound insight. And so here we are walking through this process. And we're all working into a, a place of understanding what the reality is that God's placed before us. And so Paul closed it with some prayers. And then we all put up and put hands on. And they began to speak in tongues. And they began to, to pray on me with the hands on my heart and my back. And this became a, an anointing, if you will, an, an integration with the family as we would integrate into the body of Christ. So I would tell you that officially tonight, I can honestly say that without a doubt that I'm Uncle Scott to the Cantrells. It's deep, it's profound, it's life-changing. And it's something that reminds me again, as God says in Psalm 65, 6, God makes a home for the lonely. He leads the prisoners into prosperity. Only the stubborn and rebellious dwell in a parched land. It was, it's easy to take a moment like this and step away and say, I don't want to do this. It's easy to step back from a family and think that the words that are spoken as one as uncle is offhanded and perhaps not true. We, we live in a time when it's too easy to forget the key roles in a family, mother, father, children, obviously. But those other roles like the uncle or the aunt are profound roles because they're roles that are outside the parental. But as long as you're working into their permissions, we have an ability to speak into children in a profound way. Like I said, that word that Paul gave me was settling because the word that Paul spoke to me was, God's giving you the grace to speak, be part of a family that you basically should have had. That's a heavy load. And it's tied to the various things. It's tied all through the various choices we make in our life to misdirect and ultimately fall off the path. But a reminder that in the end, God always gives us a chance to come back. And that chance was presented and it was accepted. The core of this entire fight is family and building that family. And we're going to have to build the family both in blood and we're going to build those families in spirit. We get into the root core of what's driving this war. It is not politics. And I've been saying this now for a while. It is not the banksters. It is not the internet fraudsters. What's driving this war is the attempt to destroy and completely annihilate the family that God designed. And so when we start to realize how profound these families are that God is protecting, start to find our roles that walk alongside that are just as important to the development of these families. One of those is an uncle. And it's the opportunity to work with these young children, to raise them up in skills and gifts and talents that they can apply in their lives and take a ministry into the world that truly has substance far beyond just the word. And while the world is powerful, there's no question, we need to be able to take the substance of putting that and sowing that into the earth so that we develop the great prosperity which comes from it. All of that is happening here step by step in a process of us 
seeing ourselves for what we truly are. We are the children of the Most High. And we've been given the authorities on this earth to steward and protect. Part of that role as an uncle is to steward and protect. To steward these children in the way that you're allowed within the parameters of the family and with the Cantrells, it's wide open. And to ensure that your role also protects those little ones at all costs. All cost. No greater gift than to lay your life down for another. God doesn't define a normal family. We know this. And we know that in this time that we're having to make different connections outside of the normal bloodlines that we would. But if we're praying into all of these, we're finding that these connections are profound, they're, prof they're powerful. They're greater than what we're accustomed to in the real world. And that is one of the great gifts of this time. Children are our future. When you meet children like the Cantrells that have not been shaped by the public school, that they're walking into Scripture, a parenting that is quite dynamic and very embracing the positive through Scripture, not a negative through punishment. You watch children develop at inordinate speeds and pace. You start to see things in them that they can start to speak to you and tell you truths and see in you the way that any prophetic would, but it's more pure, it's innocent. It has no corruption of the world. It is God in its very virtue. And that's what's rising up here in such a powerful and mighty way in this hour to literally lift up the many, to lead them in lead families now into this new era. This year's Christmas special is reviving the church. The documentary that we're doing is family, parts of war, family is everything. And those two are not separate from one another. You can't have a church without family. And the family itself is the church. So we're going to have to, as a culture, make this huge shift, which is not going to be easy. But we have to commit to it and no matter what age. For men, and I know people don't like me getting into personal business, but this is the truth. A reversal surgery for you at a certain point in your time, hopefully any age, is necessary now. Because you're going to have to be able to operate at a different level than just being the man who may be really cool high speed, and that's about it in your heart. You've got to go up a level or two where you start to develop that sensitivity to the, to the prophetic and the apostolic, to the Holy Spirit. And you can start speaking those things in. And as you speak those things in, you can begin to see what's coming into you and what's not. It allows you to amplify certain areas and even diminish sound in others so that we get a clear picture of what God really wants. These are, again, very powerful times. And it's essential that we walk in that place that we are focused on him. The family is the root of this war. They've been trying to slaughter it for a long time. And unfortunately, they've made some tremendous traction in all of this. And we have to undo it and destroy it. And when we get to the bottom of that, we start to discover things that are even darker. 
because the proof is now there that all of the people in our in our leadership positions are tied to pedophilia. And ultimately, that's the greatest abomination of all is to destroy children's innocence. Nurturing as a as if this family does and then having a uncle. And by the way, this isn't just a normal uncle situation. I'm up at the property most of the time right now at the ranch. So we're literally cohabitating. I'm involved in their breakfasts every day. And I'm involved in discussions with these children every day. These are bright children, smart, intuitive, insightful. They're blessed with the gift of sight. And this dynamic then starts to give you a model and a, a way to replicate what we can do in other circumstances to revive families, to raise them up and then use the children as the teachers and continue that rise of building strong families that can endure the weather a storm is coming. And it takes all of us, not just the families themselves. So look for those opportunities where you can help because I think it's really incredibly important. And to then be able to lean in and do something really great to raise up those children to make them greater than they were. Now, as we... Before we close tonight, or as we close tonight, I want to read you a story. This is about the trust in God. And we're going to loop it all back together. So here it goes. This is Good Morning. I've been following a channel called The Book Nook on Telegram to get PDFs of many books. She uses Buy My Coffee for anyone who wants to donate. So that's a feature in Telegram. This morning, I wanted to donate because she helped me get a lot of crochet books and homesteading books. I noticed she had a goal of $188. Keep the lights on, it says. I had already asked her to send me a prayer request and told her why as well as about Coffee and Jesus, which is our show this morning. I'm going to send you, uh, I want to send you what she sent me, but wanted to give you a backstory about her first. She's in North Kentucky. No, So Jack and I will ride up to see her and what is needed to get her some heat before the cold temps that really set in. That was the person who wrote this. Now, here's her. here is this comment she's talking about. It says, good morning. And this was coming from the, from the person that was asking for $188. Good morning. My situation is pretty serious. Almost exactly a year ago, my husband left me out here in the middle of nowhere right before the big storm where it was wind chills of minus 20. No job, no vehicle, no money, no means of support, no access to medication, no homestead, the homestead and disrepair without even a heat source and hundreds of animals depending on me to keep them fed and cared for. I have been surviving on the grace of God ever since. I have no family. I am all alone out here. Since people in this area found out I was alone, I have been the target of thieves, but luckily they have never harmed me or my animals. I am nearly 60, and every day has been both a blessing and a struggle. It has been difficult. If you had asked me before this, that if this could be done, 
I would have laughed and said, of course not. But the power of God is infinite. And he apparently sees fit for me to make a thought, make it through this. I have been trampled on, trampled by a cow, rammed repeatedly by a nasty ram, and survived last winter. So if he wanted me gone, it would be. So any prayers you could offer would be most appreciated. Her name is Larissa. This is faith. This is the power of walking truly in the faith of God. And so when you encounter families and you encounter stories like this, we have to remember that ultimately we are all one family in the body of Christ. I'm going to post this link because you can go to her. It's called the book nook. Um, I don't know. I haven't looked at it yet. I'm going to find a way to donate and I'm going to donate all that 188. And I would encourage you if you can join me, do it as part of it or all of it so we can give her some buffer and get her back on her feet. We can do this. Um, So it's it's pretty amazing when we look at faith and that what I call really the darkness of faith. And in fairness, that term, that whole concept was given, was part of a story that Brad Cummings told me. And I've taken it because it's so fantastic. It's stepping into the darkness that is so dark that you can't see anything. And you trust in God so completely that you know that no matter what happens, he will be with you. This is that story. But so are the Kentrells. And this is where it all comes together. Paul had a business that made a quarter million dollars a year. God asked him to lay it down. Paul laid it all down, left the business, took his family on the road, and they've been doing ministry ever since, trusting and relying on him on every step of the way. And that includes tremendous repairs on vehicles and challenges with health. And Elijah was bitten by a a scorpion. They ended up in the emergency room. These sorts of things that are constantly taxing the resources we have, and yet God always provides. And we have to walk in that place where we are saying the yes and abiding in him to such a degree that ultimately we discover something about who we are and what we are. We have to start learning to live differently. We have to start learning to come together and knit this body of Christ back together. We have to start extending our homes to share with others, not just to covet them and keep them for ourselves. This isn't socialism. This is God. And it doesn't have to be permanent, but it's opening up a room for somebody that needs a transition or needs help, or maybe they're in transitioning to a job or opening up a property like this where a family can settle in so that Christine can have the baby and those children can learn skills and worry about where they're going to go next later because who knows what God has in store. But as we start to put our power of in back into our faith of living in the moment, listening to the stories, responding to what is needed, following our heart, being called in to be an uncle for a family that you just recently knew that the children knew I was uncle the whole time. We're starting to connect with God in such a profound way that we're reminded truly 
of what has been said. A father of the fatherless and a judge and protector of the widows is God is God in his holy habitation. And that's our role, every single one of us. So God will make home for the lonely. And he'll lead the prisoners into prosperity. Only the stubborn and rebellious dwell in a parched land. Don't be in a parched land. Open your hearts to whatever is needed. Reach out to these people that we need, that need help or are looking for help. Pray into the things that we need. Listen to Holy Spirit. And let our ministries become a living aspect of every part of our life and day. And that's truly where we are transformed. Let's pray. Father, we come here tonight. We're just praying in just humility before you as we reflect deeply on this day, which is a day of just being literally adopted into a family. And equally, this day where we're reflected on one who doesn't have family and yet is struggling to survive. That's Larissa. We're reminded how both of these ends ultimately meet in the middle. One, one extreme to the other, and yet they're both part of the perfection of the body of Christ. And let us not ever forget that these extremes, as the extremes may be and make good stories, the flow down is real. That we need these stories that are connected. They start to work with us and through us. And they start to reveal to us the deep nuances of life and the secrets that you have that we start to have to embrace. Let us be reminded of humility. Let us be reminded of humbleness. Let us be reminded that even in the last piece of bread, we have to be willing to share it. That there really is no such thing as starvation or malnutrition when we walk in kingdom that only exists in the devil's world. So, Father, we just ask for the blessings over Larissa. We ask for the blessings over the Cantrells. We ask for blessings over Bar's nation to lift them up, to move them forward into a greater place. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, patriots, I'll get this link up for this person. As soon as I do, I'd encourage you to head on over there and see if you can donate a little bit for a cup of coffee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow morning for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now.
Sometimes it takes all you got to. Be- 